trying not to be little fanboys about this, but that's gonna be it's gonna be hard. Hello and welcome to Filling in the Gaps. I'm Justin. And I'm Darren. And today we're going to be discussing a game that we have talked about many times on the podcast or mentioned many times. It is Portal 2. This is a game that we both love, and we are trying not to, as you put it, fanboy out too much. This could be a game where we talk on for way, way too long, because this game is just one of the best. Yeah, I mean, when we speak about other games, we say, well, it's good, but it's not Portal 2. It's like Portal 2, this is like the benchmark for fantastic, almost. We have already discussed Portal. And we said in that podcast that, <laughs> spoilers for that podcast, but <laughs> uh, we talked about that episode about the fact that Portal 1 is great, Portal 2 somehow is even better in virtually every way. It just really improved on the formula. So I think it goes without saying, but we will, that we recommend this game wholeheartedly and I am not exaggerating when I say I've probably played this five, maybe six times now. This is a game that has a single-player campaign, which is great. And even on the fifth playthrough, it took me hours to get through. The addition of a co-op mode, which is fantastic, and you can play online. The addition as well of the ability for the community to make their own test chambers and there are a lot of them. Yeah, there's hundreds. And I've played some of them. Some of them are amazing. So that's something that we might talk about in the future, just like the co-op mode we might talk about in the future. Today, we are wanting to focus on just the single-player campaign. I will say is a big improvement for me, not so much for Darren, is the fact that on the PC Portal 1, I couldn't seem to use my controller, but... Portal 2, I could. And that made a huge difference for me because it felt natural again. Keyboard and mouse, a lot of times for me, takes me out of it. I can't be immersed because it doesn't feel natural to me. Controller does. They have, I, I think like they did in Portal 1, uh, the ability to redo any level so that if there's one you want to go back and do after you've beat it, you can. The single player basically has nine chapters of story. Yeah. which I would say works very, very well. Our recommendation, I think, certainly what I would say is definitely get this game, but I would probably encourage people to wait for the summer sale or winter sale because that's when the Valve bundle kind of goes on sale. And it's typically a really amazing deal when it goes on sale because you're getting a lot of games. I waited for that as well because I, I was new to Steam and I had Portal from another platform and i think i got portal 1 2 half-life 1 all of the add-ons half-life 2 then half-life 2 episode 1 and 2 and that was as far as i went because i wasn't really interested in like the csgo games or the the other bits but even with six good games it's like it was less than ten dollars it was oh no it was 25 yeah it was like 25 but that's still for these games, that's pretty fantastic. It's insane. Yeah, it's, it, it, it worked out at about two bucks a game for what I bought. Yeah, and I would say, for me, the Portal games are worth it alone. Yeah. I originally got into Steam because I had moved and a friend wanted to play the co-op mode of... Actually, 
I think I more really wanted to play the co-op mode of Portal 2. And so I had the PlayStation, but my friend didn't. Right, right. But we both had PCs, so I found out it was available on Steam. Luckily, at a time where the sale was going on, went great, bought one for me, and bought one for my friend for like a birthday present. Here you go. Here's a great bundle of games. And so we were able to actually then play the co-op mode, and I loved it. And then I became addicted to Steam sales, and that's why my library is (laughs) as it is today. But a bit of warning. I played Portal 2 before I ever played Portal 1. And I think that that affected me a bit. So that for me, Portal 2 always feels like the actual game. I know Portal 1 came first, but this is the one that got me hooked. And going back to Portal 1, it was nice to play and to see where everything came from. But it was a constant reminder of this isn't quite Portal 2. Yeah, I mean, Portal 2 was was one of those rare kind of gems where they improved on the sequel dramatically. I mean, even for me, I played Portal 1 first. And even for Portal 1, yeah, when I played 2, it's like, oh yeah, this is far superior. Because, I mean, Portal 1 was, it was like a side project for them, almost. It was like they were working on something, and then a few guys were like, oh, I've got this idea. And they made it. And it was, you know, for number of people working on it versus the time that they had allocated to that project, they came up with something brilliant a really unique puzzle game that was funny and that we've we've already discussed in the last podcast. But yeah, with Portal 2, they obviously said, oh, that that was really uh, successful and interesting. Like, here's, have some money and have some actual, like, put some proper effort into it this time. Yeah, so I'm the opposite to you. I played 1 and then 2. And for me, even though 1 is still special, it's the genesis of the whole, well, I can't say the whole series because there's only two of them, but 1 is special, but 2 is still much 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 better i think we're gonna leave the spoiler free section now we're gonna leap right into it so if you've not played portal 2 you don't really want to listen to this we're going to be talking a lot about the story we're going to be talking a bit about probably some puzzles and puzzle solutions in there somewhere yeah i mean if you don't if you haven't played portal 1 or 2 and you're listening to this you're a fan of puzzle games then you're either very very new to puzzle games (laughs) or or you've been living under a rock because this is like the the granddaddy of uh, of uh, of puzzle games, really, isn't it? Get it, play it, and you'll love it. Let's talk about chapter one: the courtesy call. This is our basic tutorial, easy test, story, character, world building level, and wow, do they nail it in this one like they did in the? Yeah. I mean, I mean, the first one. How long did we talk about the very first room you're in and how much it shows you? And they do that even better. Yeah, this one, I they, feel do, like. they, do, they, they do that. This thing when you play Portal 2, it's like you're thinking, you just, what's that word when you like, when directors reuse their own material? Like, not rehashing, but what's the word? Like, when, they, when they're just like doing the same thing over and over again. But for Portal 1, they do that, but they do it so well. You know, it's like, oh, you're just doing exactly what you did in Portal 1, but. It's brilliant. The, the method of storytelling is great. As the main character, Chell, we wake up in a kind of motel-like room, right? And it looks in good quality. We get a bit of tutorial, but comedy at the same time, which Portal does like no other, I think. We're basically told we've been in stasis for 50 days, so we need to check some of our abilities. We have to 
look up and down, which is our gymnastics portion of the exercise. (laughs) We have to look at a picture and it tells us this is art. And we have to stare at it for intellectual stimulation. And if that didn't work, then we get 10 seconds of classical music. And then you go back to bed. That's it. That's the whole test. But then when the lights go out and we wake up to a knock on the door, this room is a mess. It is worn out. Things are falling apart. You can see that. But it still looks like a normal room. Now remember, I hadn't played Portal 1. So I had no idea the first time what I was in for. Uh, And I certainly didn't expect when I answered the knock on the door for there to be like a giant robot eye on the other (laughs) side. And in behind him is kind of a mess. You can see that this is not a motel. And so you have no idea what's going on at this point. This is where we're introduced to Wheatley. (laughs) I love Wheatley. Uh, Wheatley is also voiced by Stephen Merchant, who is absolutely funny. And in this just fantastic delivery. Like there are a lot of times I would stop what I was doing before trying to figure out a puzzle to even this time around to listen to everything he had to say before I'd move on. And sometimes that's two minutes of just listening to him ramble in character. But I enjoyed it. Yeah, because you can... I I did that as well where you just like... Because if you stop and don't do anything and just just kind of stand there, he'll keep talking. And it's like, I must... On this playthrough especially, I was... I was really interested and was just kind of hanging back for like five minutes at a time. Just like, is okay, so is his loop finished? Is he going to go back to the beginning? When I, I remember first playing this after playing Portal 1 and then Portal 1 was, there's only really GLaDOS. Yeah, there's only, only really the voice of GLaDOS. Um, and then in this, I was like, oh, wow, it's Steve Merchant. That's weird. And then that, that was an in, instant kind of selling point. This is voiced by someone funny and interesting choice as well. It's like they could have, picked anyone what was happening at the time when portal 2 came out was the office kind of popular in the states or something i have no idea honestly i don't know why they i mean Stephen merchant is famous for the office but he's also well i mean the the uk office yes i mean the americans had their own office with what's his name with um steve 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 carell yeah Uh, he was also in extras with ricky gervais Gervais, yeah where he plays kind of in Oh, he's, he's, an inept, like, he's uh, agent. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't know if that was around the same time, but it is a kind of similar feel because, as we're going to find out, Wheatley's pretty inept. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it works very, very well. Just his voice work on this was fantastic. You could tell he was really into it. Wheatley gives us some other information. He says, like, there are 10,000 subjects, but no one's woken up. And then he starts to move the room, like the whole room. And by crashing into things, it starts to open it up. And I remember the first time playing this, just astounded by the scope of what was going on outside and wanting the whole thing to stop so I could just stop to look around. But it doesn't because this is Portal 2. (laughs) And unless we're in the middle of a test, we're moving. They give us funny bits of dialogue. They give us crazy action. This is an amazing scene. Yeah. I love this chaos at the beginning. Absolute chaos. (laughs) <laughs> we come to a wall that says manual override on it, which I found very funny because the manual override that Wheatley often does, as he does here, is just crash into it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's at this point that we're told to look for a portal gun. So they have done a very interesting thing in this game where often we get bits of dialogue 
and then that character will stop talking, but there's often a reason for why they stop talking, which is good because that would be really irritating for them to be talking the whole time while we're trying to figure out a puzzle. Yeah. But they've made a very conscious and wise decision to only have the dialogue bits happen before we're actually playing and after we're done solving something. This is something that they did in Portal 1, and they've continued it in Portal 2, but they've constantly given us a reason for why they need to stop talking. Yeah, I noticed that on this time around as well, and I really appreciate that. It was it was done so well before that I probably wasn't even conscious of it, but one of my pet peeves in games like is when you're getting some story or some dialogue or monologue or whatever and then as soon as you pass that invisible wall it just stops talking and it's like well i didn't know i couldn't walk when you were talking in this game even if you're blasting through and you're running towards the elevator to get to the next test chamber when you get into the elevator that elevator just is in a loop and will just continue to go down until they've finished speaking thank you Please, 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 other developers, please do this more. Because I hate, I hate that when it cuts off the story. It's so annoying. But in this, the only time it cuts off is if they're saying something and then you reach another part where they're going to say something else. So it's like, it doesn't make sense to like, oh, you have to keep listening to this other stuff. Because that other stuff that they're saying is probably part of a loop anyway, and it's not important. This part is important that you, that's been cut off to get to. It's great. It works. And yeah, stop cutting off your story, please, guys. I would also say one thing that I forgot to mention before, but they give a reason for why Chell doesn't speak. There's a great moment where Wheatley is talking to us and he's trying to get us to speak and a button icon flashes and it says speak. But instead of speaking, you're jumping. Yeah. And he's like, oh, what you're actually doing there is jumping. That's nice, but let's try it again. And this works for teaching us how to jump. Yeah. It works for comedy, but it also works for why our character doesn't speak. And they've attributed it to we've been under too long and we have a bit of brain damage, which I'm kind of okay with. They mention it a few other times in other ways, and it just works. And this also... I don't know. I kind of like the fact that our character is mute because... I get irritated many times in games when characters speak for me and they say things that I wouldn't say. Sometimes that works out in a good way because then I feel as though I'm not myself and I'm being this other character. But oftentimes when it leads to something bad, I think, oh, why did you say that? I would never have said that. Can can we not be stupid about how we taunt the enemy? Exactly, yeah. Like in the GTA games and like I'm playing Mafia 3 now, like in those games it's like you're playing a criminal and they can say whatever they want to say because I'm, I'm terrible at being a bad guy anyway i can't do it but yeah so like you're saying you crash through all those 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 buildings you get tons of story you get a ton of like well we're, we're gonna get cues. into that so don't don't jump uh, ahead uh, uh because right away after we get dumped off through that wall we are dropped into the beginning of portal one essentially it's the same clock on the wall the camera on the wall the same glass cubicle that we started in except now the countdown clock is flashing at 12 yeah (laughs) which is the common symbol for something went wrong right the Uh, power went out yeah we get through there again this is where we get to see ourselves, probably for the first time through that first portal 
there's the same cube and button test, the super easy test from before, then a three portal test, a little bit different this time, but to show us more, I guess, how the buttons work, and also they didn't want us to have the gun just yet. They were building up to something. And that is this amazing room, and this is what you're hinting at, I think, that I, I didn't want you to jump ahead to. This room, where the portal gun is, there are so many visual cues in this room. We have murals painted on the wall to Chell, to uh, her facing off Gladys. There's one uh, picture of the cake, of course. Yeah, of course. One to the portal gun, one that you pointed out to me about the ceiling and how it Reflects the moon phases. Yeah, it's like the moon phases, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's also one to the companion cube. And one that I wasn't quite sure what they were depicting. I put it as scientists dying. And that perhaps Carolyn was part of this. I wasn't really sure. But I love the fact that there's this kind of ode to all of Portal 1 here to remind you. Or, if like me, you didn't get to play the first one yet some clues as to what happened or that this story is bigger or at least a continuation of Portal 1. Yeah, and that part of me doesn't really understand this part because in Portal 1, you've got all of the secret rooms that the guy's been writing on the wall and stuff, and then you have defeated GLaDOS, and then this person has still been continuing. There's a gap in the story almost like because he's now drawing murals to you defeating GLaDOS but he's also gone and escaped somehow from this facility maybe there's something more going on you know what I mean it's like I don't know why you want to fill in this gap I don't think that for me it's not necessary Mm. we weren't the only person there yeah and we already knew from Portal 1 that somebody had been hiding out which I don't is it included in Portal 2 or did I purchase the comic the kind of digital comic. No, I think you have to buy it. Okay. I Or maybe you got it as some kind of pack. I don't know. I might have. But I read through that, and so that's the character of the Rat Man. Rat Man, yeah. Which I think we've talked about before, but I'm not sure that we mentioned it. I think the, we talked about it last time. Episode. Okay. The Rat Man is basically a character who's been giving us clues and living kind of outside of the normal testing. We don't know... If he's still alive, we don't know if he's dead, we don't know if he's escaped. Or on the moon? I don't care that much. I think it's interesting that he's there and that it happened, but I'm very focused on Chell, and that's all I really care about, honestly. (laughs) It's Chell and Gladys and now Wheatley at this point, and that's really all I care about. I think that's you always wanting to fill (laughs) that story. You want that story, but to me that's not as interesting as what we actually got. I think though with those murals though, one of them is is quite interesting. One of them I think is a mural of Caroline. It's almost quite hard to see, but above GLaDOS, that if you look kind of carefully, you can see a picture of a woman's face. It's not easy to see, and it kind of blends in with the picture, and it goes into GLaDOS. That's kind of interesting. But yeah, the phases of the moon, and then there's like the hole in the ceiling. It's like which is maybe just foreshadowing to the end of the story it could be i'm not sure but i i don't think that i noticed that before i didn't really realize what was going on with it i didn't understand the importance of it the first time so well you wouldn't until the end of the game anyway would you Mm. and then but the thing is it's like i've got this idea that ratman 
teleported to the moon, like portal to the moon. But, you know, just to escape. Like, imagine if you'd gone so crazy. So either, but that's really worrying because either you got three scenarios. A, he essentially just killed himself, which might be important because Gladys kind of makes it clear that you're hers for eternity. So maybe death is the is the only end. Two, maybe Aperture has some kind of facility on the moon where you can survive, and that's a happy ending. And so basically you just have to get suited up and portal through. But that doesn't fit in, because if they all they had to do was include that at the end of the game, and they didn't. They just showed you the, the lunar module, the American flag, and the buggy, and they didn't show you anything else. So it kind of hurts my feelings that they don't then <laughs> look you already said you're worried how long this episode is going to be and now you're spending so much time on this ridiculous theory about a rat man that we never even see can we can we move on seriously can we move on okay off the rail what i did with the episode where we discussed portal is i focused on all the tests and i wanted to talk about the leveling up that they did because I knew we were going to do this episode and I didn't want to spend 12 hours talking about how good the leveling up is in this game. Boy, is it. (laughs) And I also don't want to spend too much time talking about every puzzle because there are so many in this one. So if I don't cover it enough, dear listeners, understand, I do understand how great their leveling up is, but I don't know how interesting it would be to listen to me do my kind of amateur analysis of it all the way through. I will say that, like the first one, they start us off with only controlling one portal. And I think that that is a great idea. I forgot that. I only remember getting both portals very early on. You do get them much earlier in this game than you did in the first one. I think there's a bit less hand-holding in the second one than there was in the first one. But I think that that is a good start. Again, they're taking us through... If you played Portal 1, you're recognizing a lot of these things that you're going through. And even if not, like I was, they're still leveling you up in a way that you didn't have to play the first one in order to understand what's going on. I never felt out of place. All-inclusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I made a note that basically by the seventh chamber, that's the end of the tutorials, pretty much. They, they take you through seven test chambers and... That is pretty much the end of the, of the of the tutorial. And I think that's enough. I think well, it's not, but it's their tutorial kind of sections for new mechanics that we're going to learn because they do add a fair amount in this game. Oh yeah, <laughs> I do want to mention just quickly one of the best jokes in the whole game. I think we're about to enter a dangerous test, and that's when they offer smooth jazz to commas. <laughs> I don't know why, but that joke gets me every time. I like the one where you had to plug in. Is it when the the, the rail ends? Like so, Wheatley's hanging from a rail. Oh, yeah, but you're you're ahead. You're ahead. Yeah, you're ahead. So there's just something about throwing these bits of comedy in that works so well, and they're they're so quick. You know, it's a 10 second joke, but it makes me laugh for like 30 seconds. You know, I I love this game. Yeah. When we get to test five, this is probably the first new test that we experience. And this one reminds us that water equals death. Yeah. And we can't swim in this game. And this is also a momentum puzzle. So it's our first time in this game to kind of experience that. When we come across Wheatley again, we're in a room that's kind of destroyed. But in this room, we see a pellet generator from the first game. 
which I'd never really noticed before because I'd never played them back to back like this. But it's it's now not working. And this this is what you were gonna talk about. So. Oh yeah, yeah. So like when he comes off, <laughs> what's he says? He's like, he, he wants you to catch him. And like we're gonna we're gonna get off this rail, and then he gets off the rail. He's like, oh, free, free, free at last. And then he's like, what are we gonna do? Oh, I guess we follow the rail. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also, I believe, the first time where he said, oh, this will probably lead to my death. Oh, he says that a lot. Yeah. yeah. Because they basically said that about everything. Yeah. <laughs> was it if you use the flashlight, it yeah. kill you? <laughs> Why'd they even give me these things if they didn't want me to use them? <laughs> yeah, it's just brilliant. Yeah. And this is where Portal 2 really does something that Portal didn't do until much, much later, which is show us a bit behind the scenes. We're already in a kind of defunct and broken down area, but we're now like between the walls of the test, which is something that in Portal 1 we didn't do for a much bigger portion of the game. I think the developers probably picked up on that from the feedback from 1 and realized that people really got into that aspect of getting behind the curtain. And so they made a game that was almost entirely behind the curtain. And boy, did they. In this one, we are walking along and we get to kind of a tunnel where Wheatley says he's afraid of going through her chamber. Uh, if you have the subtitles on, her is all caps. <laughs> and basically we go through the door and there's Gladys destroyed. And the incinerator from the boss fight is still there. It's all overgrown. Yes. We go into the main breakers. Of course we accidentally revive Gladys, but in a way that just looks beautiful. When we're going up that little lift and all of the switches are being flipped, yeah, because the, the, the carriage thing is like switching, yeah, switching them all on, yeah. And you're powerless to stop it. Yeah. What I really love here is that Wheatley has been kind of informed somehow of this story of a human that took her out, but had no idea. I, I believe he even references it to as a man. Yeah, he says he, yeah. yeah. Didn't even have a clue that he was talking to the person that did it. And Gladys recognizes us right away. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> calls us a monster and crushes Wheatley. Yeah. And tosses him aside. We kind of, I don't know, symbolically, because it's not really working, but we are dropped into the very incinerator that we used to destroy the cores from before, which is a big part of how we took Gladys out the first time. Yeah. And one thing that I do want to say here is that Portal 2 has some beautiful cutscenes. And this is, again, part of why this game will constantly make it towards the top of my, like, best games of all time list. The game, overall, much like Portal 1, is aesthetically just really beautiful, really thought out. There's a uniformity that fits with everything. The cutscenes also, the image quality goes up slightly, because the game actually does look very beautiful, even still. But it does go up slightly, and we're no longer in control, but the cutscenes are short, but well thought out, and give us a lot in that time. We're also, though I love the cutscenes, and I <laughs> these cutscenes I'd probably be happy to see over and over, they are short, but we're never forced to watch them a second time, which is something that a lot of developers get wrong. Yeah. I don't want to have to wait two minutes before I can start playing again if I mess up. You should play Metal Gear. There's a 30-minute cutscene that if you die, 
You have to watch it all again. I said I don't want to do that, so I should not <laughs> play it. <laughs> but also the music as well in this game, like even in the cutscenes and in between parts. So like like what you're saying is the graphics are great and the cutscenes. It's almost like they wanted just to keep them the same level as the game, almost as to not break the immersion, I guess. So that they're not these fantastically lifelike cutscenes. They're just on par with the game's already already good graphics. But I, also the music that kicks in is is really good. They, they they just had the perfect storm for this game. Everything everything is good. The writing is good. The story is good. The graphics good. The music is good. Actually, I'd like to at the end maybe we can try and find things to talk about that we didn't like about this game. But that's going to be hard. Mm. I don't want to spend too much time on what Gladys says, but she has some just beautiful lines through here. She guides us to the dual portal gun. So again, this is fairly early on, but we've got it now. What I love here is we kind of have to find our way to the tests. So we have to go through this behind the curtain kind of area already. And Gladys, story-wise, tells us that the way she was built, her death, essentially, she has to relive over and over and over until now. Thus, she definitely wants revenge. She would want revenge anyway, but she's had this torture as well. And as she's going over this kind of dialogue, we're taking to, like, the fire pit that was in Portal 1, and basically she's saying we're going to be testing for the rest of our life. She even at one point threatens to reanimate Chell's corpse. Yeah. <laughs> Not directly, of course. Yeah. It was. I think it was before that that there was one little really cute part and that's when you're with Wheatley, just before before you get to GLaDOS, and you see like the turret. It's like it's it's part of the pipe. It's a broken pipe, and it's it's kind of smashed through, and it's just lying on its side. And the turret's like, "Hello, I'm different." That's <laughs> 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 so cute, man. But no, GLaDOS, yeah, she has some some class lines later on. Yeah. But in this game as well, she rather than just being a comedy relief, like well, as in the first game, it was like it was mostly just funny lines and just. Not a back and forth between the characters because you're mute, but comedy. What am I trying to say? Shut up, Darren. <laughs> um, it's not a back and forth because you're not speaking. What is it? I'm trying to say it's like a fourth only. <laughs> but see, I I can jump in. I think I know where you're going for here. But it's like she's delivering the story. You can just say that and say it better than I'm saying it. It's not just comedy. Like planted into that comedy is actual plot. Yes. And also, it's more personal now. Yeah. She gives a lot of personal attacks against us by way of weight, by way of like... You being a terrible person. Mm. That's probably my favorite insult is the test results came back. You are a horrible person. We weren't even testing for that. (laughs) Chapter 2, basically, I didn't really write much as far as the puzzles. It feels a lot like Portal 1. These are very basic puzzles. Well... I don't want to say basic puzzles, but these aren't as complicated. We're introduced to lasers in this one as opposed to the energy pellets that we had in Portal 1. We're taught that with the use of a kind of very easy platform test early on. What I really found here was more of the bits that Gladys was giving us, right? We've got what you said about the, the test showing that we're a horrible person, but it also shows that our birth mother was right to give us up. There are a number of orphan jokes in this one. She compliments us on putting on a few pounds because most people lose weight in, like, the stasis, I guess. Yeah. These things just, yeah, like you say, add to the story, make us laugh. Just really, really enjoyable. There are 
are a couple other things that we experience in this one. The <laughs> what they call a test discouragement replacement cube, which is basically for redirecting where the laser goes. It's basically like a crystal cube. Uh, we also have a test in which we see companion cubes with the little hearts on them, and Gladys just fizzles them away, I think like three of them, before we can actually use any of them. And in fact, we're told that the emancipation grid is not working on this one, but don't take anything with you. And so, of course, this time, I don't think I'd ever tried it before, but this time I went, I'm finding a way to get that cube out of there. I did. And then it fizzles on your way out. Yeah. (laughs) Really trying to hit hard that she's getting revenge bit by bit. That's also really interesting is that she doesn't need the grid to destroy things. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I think is a really important part of the story. Maybe we can talk about that later, but I think that's really important because she is God, basically, but not with anything organic. Anything, yeah, anything inorganic is hers. So she's like the God of of robots and machines, basically. And I think part of that goes into the fact that as we're going through these puzzles, we see them being fixed and put back together right in front of our eyes, which is great for world building, story building, and also it's just visually interesting. So while we are walking into a test, there's always something happening and we get a chance to see that happening. But like you said, that promotes even more how much control Gladys has over this world that we are in. Yeah, I mean, the whole the whole fizzling out that cube thing is like, that's really interesting because it's it's almost like the, it's just the, the finger of death, you know? When you're building a chamber out of panels, that's, that's one thing, like mechanical arms that come into place to, to make the, the shape and dimensions that you want. But to actually pick out something in the physical world and say, okay, that is now going to be destroyed and, and it's gone, that's a level of control that's quite insane. The only other thing in chapter two I'd like to point out is there's a great, I forget what they call them. Is it like a faith? Aerial faith plate. <laughs> that's it, the aerial faith plate, which I don't think we had in the first one, no. right? So that's definitely an addition here. I love the whole mechanic. I love the way it works. I love the sound yeah. that it makes. And one of the tests where we have to use those, we're kind of bouncing around the room and then we need to get a cube to bounce around the room. But before it does, a bunch of garbage falls out and a lot of this garbage is from portal one and i'm not sure if you caught any of the garbage but i did catch a sphere which we use a bit in the co-op but we don't really use in the single player i caught the cd the clock radio no no like the cd that you use to in the in the co-op one to put Ah. into the player yeah but there's also a clock radio you can grab which is uh playing the the same song from portal one which i thought was great So chapter two is a way to make us feel like we're back again, I think. We are familiar with Gladys and her personality again. We are familiar with the puzzles and the puzzle mechanics again. And we are introduced to a couple simple things that we're going to be using a lot later. So the aerial faith plate, the lasers, and the what I'm going to call the redirection cubes, like that aim the lasers where we want them to go. This leads us into chapter three called The Return. We kind of have seen Wheatley, I think, once or twice in the background, not quite being able to get to us. But this is where we finally get to see him again. And this is also where Gladys says another one of my 
favorite lines where she talks about seeing a deer. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I believe she offers a reward of some kind. If we do a good job, maybe we can go to an office where she can tell me about seeing the deer again. (laughs) Not offering to show me a video of the deer or actually the deer itself, but getting to hear this boring story about it. (laughs) This is the chapter where we're introduced to what are referred to as natural light bridges. These are the kind of electronic bridges that we can manipulate in many ways. We can use them as barriers to protect us from turrets. We can use them to walk across gaps. We can use them vertically or horizontally. There's a lot that you can do with them, which I think is very interesting. What they've always done well is take a simple idea and show you how to use it in many ways. And this is just one more example of that, I think. I think when you get into there as well, isn't that where she's saying something about your clothes? It's one of her lines. Is like, like she had a medical degree in fashion from France. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, the, the, the light bridges, they blew my mind in this game because they are not the easiest. They were not the easiest thing for me to manage. Like I didn't understand how they worked because they look back on themselves And especially when you have to aim them in certain directions and then walk through them to get up to the source to fall down. It was too many folds on itself for me. It was like, they were quite hard. Those and then the the light tunnels as well that you get swept down like a river kind of thing. Like, I don't know what what you could call them. Light tunnels. Like, both of those, those were the hardest kind of mechanics for me. The gels, everything else, fine. This one, nope. I do remember it being a bit like that the first time. It's tough for me to know going through like the fifth time or sixth time, however many times. But I don't know anymore what that's like. Because as I I told you the other day, playing Portal 2 felt a bit like going home. In a way that most games don't. I'm not the type of person to replay games often. There are a handful of games I've played multiple times, and this is one of them. Everything about this game just feels like going home. Being back part of this world, Gladys making me laugh, and the puzzles just feeling intuitive. So a puzzle, for example, where you have to constantly build bridges lower and lower to get around the corner to grab a cube and then get back again, the first time stumped me for a long time. Yeah, And I'm pretty sure that It was one where I ended up having to say, okay, I've got to call it a night and come back to it the next day. That puzzle now, I just remembered and I knew how it worked and it just felt normal. It felt natural. And there's something to that, I think, in the fact that with Portal 2, and I would say with Portal 1 as well, the puzzles, once you know them, start to feel really intuitive. Challenging the first time, very challenging the first time, but then intuitive. I remember there was a part later in the game where I was trying something that was very, very overcomplicated. I was trying to get me and a cube in a light tunnel and trying to time it in a certain way so they would drop in front of a laser. (laughs) What I realized I was doing, though, was a mistaken thought from an earlier playthrough. I remember doing this, and so I instinctively was trying to do what I did before, but then, logically, I said to myself, this makes no sense. This is way more complicated. This is Portal 2. They don't mess about with this kind of thing. Everything should feel right. And this feels so wrong and has since I started this test that I stopped, went, what haven't I used? And had it solved like two minutes later. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's the good thing about this game for sure is that if something is too difficult, 
and you're and you're you're reaching extreme measures to get there and it's like you need to just take a step back and and say no this isn't how it works this is i'm the i'm the mistake here it's not the game just to just to finish up chapter three a couple other things wheatley is promising to break us out we'll see he's kind of giving us a a timeline of how many tests to get through we are introduced to turrets again i mean you said we've seen one in a two but we haven't been shot at by them yeah (laughs) but we do get Back into being shot at again. And then story-wise, Gladys says, oh, she's got a surprise because she's found a man and a woman with our last name. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Which leads into chapter four titled The Surprise, which begins with confetti being dropped and like a noise maker going off and saying, oh, it was all a lie. Yeah. (laughs) More of her kind of psychological torture. Yep. She's just messing with you. This is where we also, as I mentioned before, you can use the bridge in a vertical way to block the turret from shooting you. Wheatley is saying, five more chambers, five more chambers, and I'll get you out. There's a test that I remember really frustrating me the first time, but didn't take me very long this time. And that is a test where you basically have three different lasers and three different receivers, but you only have two portals to get all of them through and you have to kind of aim them in a way and and use the portals in just the right way to make that work which again taking something so simple as i've only got a few things that i can manipulate how can i make this work that level is genius and in a lot of ways uh because i don't know if you noticed it but and the game does this quite a lot is once you get two of those lasers in place and you've just got to place the third one the music cues and so you get an audio cue throughout the game you may have been oblivious to it in the past but not when you've solved a puzzle but when you are close to solving a puzzle the music will start to play and so subconsciously you know that you're onto something that is absolutely brilliant that's amazing not like reward music for oh you've completed the thing da 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 it start, it's a slow burn build up like oh you're getting warmer you're getting warmer and they start to play the music that is absolutely that's a great mechanic and i don't think i've seen that in, in another game but yeah that, that that puzzle was really good because that was a even for me too i remember i'll never forget that puzzle because even on my first playthrough of this game that puzzle i had to go to sleep and come back to that because it was a, a next level kind of difficulty puzzle for me yeah we get to test 21 which I believe is the last one. I think it was like 21 of 21 for these tests on the entrance signs. This is where Wheatley appears. There's no time to test. Get out of there, right? Run. So we're now behind the scenes again. And Gladys tries to tempt us with the last test that she makes appear. Like, no, no, this is the last one. Oh, with the big heart on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't you like to just uh, get out? And normally I just would run on, but because we're going to do this episode, I wanted to see what would happen. So I jumped over there. Did you try it? Yeah. Yeah, you basically get locked into a room with neurotoxin and you're dead. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And that's that's the best line as well. It's like, what was it? A Nobel Prize winner designed this next test. I don't know what the Nobel was for, but it certainly wasn't for immunity to neurotoxin. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic line. Um, but yeah, I jumped over there, like pulled in there and it's like, oh, you're dead. Okay, done. But yeah, that whole escape scene is brilliant. I mean, because... In a way, it pains me because I I probably did that on my first playthrough as well, like went into that room to see because I'm the kind of person that wants to see everything the first time. But this time I didn't jump in there because I enjoyed the pace of the game, like just like you're running away, you're escaping, everything's falling apart. And GLaDOS is kind of after you, but she can only try to lure you in. 
And the music in this part is really intense as well. Like, things just really get ramped up. You kind of run into turrets firing at you in that one room. And you finally get into a lift just as basically the whole giant room crushes together. And that leads into chapter five, which is titled The Escape. Though, of course, it's chapter five of nine. We won't really be escaping. Yeah. And uh, the lights go out. This is the part where Wheatley talks about using his flashlight. <laughs> One thing that's really good about this, Wheatley moves with you. So even if you go back and forth a little bit to look around, he will go back to you. It appears the first time as though you have to go with him, but he's actually more trained to you so that you are actually still in control. The first time I played this, I felt like they had taken that away from me a bit because I didn't really experiment with it. This time I did, and I did realize, no, actually they've given you that control. We are now in a turret factory, and we see the turret parts everywhere. We're going across conveyor belts. And for me, this is a part of the game where I really feel like we understand the power of portals in a way that doing it into a test room doesn't really feel like it. We're portaling across massive gaps in the factory, and it's easy. And I know a lot of times I was trying to, honestly, find a way to portal rather than walk somewhere. <laughs> it started to get to that point where it started to feel so natural and so easy that that's what I wanted. It's also, again, world building. We're seeing these turrets being assembled. We see the tubes where cubes are being pushed through. There's a lot of thought that's gone into this world and how it actually functions. Also, one thing I did think about, though, is if you've been in stasis and the, the factory has been kind of left its own devices for such a long time, it's like, how, where are they getting all the resources to manufacture this quantity? You know, because the amount of stuff going through those tunnels is just endless. But it must be, yeah, maybe, who knows, portaling resources in from other planets they could be. Who knows? I'm not really sure. <laughs> I yeah. guess I've always just assumed they were digging out of the ground somehow. Yeah. In Utah, in the salt mine, yeah. We have to jump into a turret test where every so often there's a defective turret which allows us to escape, but at the same time, comedy. There's always something funny that the turret is saying. So you get both at the same time. But it's not just that because this becomes very important to the actual story and how we progress in the game very soon, where we have to replace the good master turret with a bad copy, so that only the bad copies will exist. This is also another time where Wheatley is going to hack the lock of a door and just smashes it with his face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> this, yeah, turn around. I can't, I can't do it if you're watching. This is another time where they just have that perfect blend of comedy, story, and gameplay that works so well. And I stopped and I listened to the defective turrets until I, I hit the loop and I started over again and I was glad to do so. In doing this puzzle, really, was something very interesting. And the first time took me a long time to figure out. I was constantly trying to figure out how to portal to the conveyor belt and portal out again, but that's not what it was. It was much simpler. There was something in this puzzle to remind you that you have powers outside of just portals, and you need to think think with portals, but also don't think about only portals. Yeah, think with your hands as well. <laughs> this leads us to something that I think you want to talk about. I don't really want to make a big deal about this, but okay. This is, <laughs> this is the science fair, 
which Wheatley says was from Bring Your Daughter to Work Day. Yep. 90% of them are potato batteries. Yep. One of them is a volcano, which Wheatley kind of mocks, but at least it wasn't a potato battery. One potato battery, the potato has gone crazy. It's mutated and huge yeah. and ridiculous. And that's the one you want to talk about. Yeah. That potato is uh, the whole crux of the game because... I'm shaking my head over here. You can't hear it. I'm shaking my head. Go ahead. Go ahead with your theory. So the potato is like the the board behind it with all the the method, hypothesis, blah, 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 is signed. Chell or Shell, I guess. I don't know how you would say it. Chell or Shell. I always thought it was short for Michelle, but so Shell. I always called her Shell. And you're, you're Shell. So your parents work here. Earlier on, GLaDOS said, oh, there's two people with your the same s- surname as you. Isn't that a coincidence? No, it's not a coincidence. It's part of the story. It's very important. This whole game, you... And also, we know pretty much that you are a poster child for Aperture Science. You're, you're on one of the posters in the office. No? Yes? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know that that's actually definitive, but... If but you, you know, so. you know the poster I'm talking about, yeah. Is it the one where you're standing next to a robot? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and like there's a woman standing next to a robot. That's yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't know that that's her. It looks. I mean, even when you can see yourself in the portal, it's it's pretty much a dead ringer for you. I think. Okay, <laughs> I might be alone on that. But yeah, so your parents worked at Aperture Science. You were adopted. Okay, so cave and we haven't even thought. Uh, That's all right. Go ahead. Let's just, let, let's okay. get out of the way. We'll we'll be introduced to them later. But right. get your theory. So out of the way. so Caroline is Glados. Mm-hmm. We're pretty agreed on that. Yeah. Cave and Caroline had a child. That's you. But they gave you up for adoption because they're married to science. They didn't, they didn't want a child. They probably passed you off to one of their employees in the, in Aperture. And yeah, you're very much the product of two of the greatest minds of science. And now you've been brought home. It's like. (laughs) All right. No, we're going to get to Cave and Carolyn. The two of the greatest minds in science. Well, I mean, yeah. (laughs) Who else can, who else can, can, uh. The guy who's like. Oh, uh, the eggheads are telling me I shouldn't have told you about the control group thing. <laughs> yeah, because he doesn't understand how research works. Well, that's true, yeah. Two of the... Well, how could I rephrase that? One of the greatest minds of science, maybe, Caroline, <laughs> and one of the greatest uh, supporters of science. Mm-hmm. But no, it's like, it's interesting. And I don't know if, if they... Uh, even if they didn't want you to think that, I'm going to think that. Listeners... I'm not part of this theory. I think my friend wants desperately for there to be some hidden dark backstory here. I think that's way too complicated. But you can agree that Shell is is at is most our Shell, probably, yeah. At most, and at most is a child of somebody who worked there. At most. Mm, okay. Everything else, I think you're filling in because you desperately want the story to be. I think that. It says later on in the game that Cave makes testing mandatory for all employees. And so I think that's how Shell got worked into this. That's how she's not, she's obviously been a child in the testing chamber underground and that's been preserved. And then she's gone on to work there. And that's why, that's where we are now, like kind of 20 years old something Shell. That's possible, but Uh, that is. I don't think that's a reach. I don't think it's a reach. (laughs) We don't have any evidence though. So. You can have that theory, and I think that there's solid reasoning for that theory, but 
all of this is theory. And all of this is you filling in the gaps to honestly a point I don't care about. I don't need it. I'm stuck there. I'm testing. I don't need the origin story. Yeah, oh no, I agree. I agree. It's not uh, important to the story <laughs> at all. I mean, you can, no, you can play the game without it. Clearly important to you because. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it is. Listen, you have no idea how many times he's brought this up to me. <laughs> it is an interesting theory. I'll let you have it. Go for it. Yeah. But I honestly don't care. Like, there's just a point where I'm so happy with the game as it is. I don't need to find a hidden backstory. Even the Ratman comic, I didn't really need. It didn't really add anything to me. And I think that it's confused you in some parts. But that's interesting, though, in the Ratman comic where he's talking to the cube. In this game as well, GLaDOS tells you companion cubes are sentient. And also, we know how much GLaDOS values human life. And she says, companion cubes are worthless, just like human life. And we have warehouses full of them. Is she meaning actual people like we were, just ready to be converted into these cubes? No. Mm, I don't know, man. I don't know. Only if they're being converted in a digital way, in the way Carolyn was converted to glass. Fair enough, yeah. Otherwise, it's just too much. Your theory at one point was there are people living inside these cubes. Yeah. But if that's the case, mm. then they would just break these people out so that they could have people to test if that's what they wanted. Maybe it is. Maybe they're, they're kind of incubation cubes and they're just keeping people in but there. then they wouldn't have only one person who do you mean shell yes both wheatley and gladys reference the fact that we are the only person left mm. if they had other people they wouldn't need us and they probably wouldn't need the cooperative robot no yeah, yeah. prototypes uh, that i guess mm. gladys was working on that is the co-op version of the game which we will no doubt be talking about mm. yeah i guess uh that's a problem <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that's part of it. It's just confusing you more and mm. adding to your craving to fill in these gaps that I don't think really need to be you saying that the companion cube is sentient. Uh, well, but, she says it herself. Yes, but the only evidence we actually have of that is the rat man, who you've already admitted is crazy and an unreliable narrator. So yeah, that's how I feel about it. All right, moving on. <laughs> um, Where were we? We... we my part, we just finished talking about the potatoes, right? Which will actually come into play later. And this is how great they are at doing storytelling and building that up. This is a room that you could literally walk through and not pay any attention to. Of course we will. Mm. But you didn't need it, but it was there. It was foreshadowing for something that will happen in a bit. We then go to a place that's marked the Implosion Observation Annex on a sign, which I just find hilarious. That always cracks me up. But we use a laser and portal to cut the neurotoxin tubes. This is a puzzle that took me ages. Ages the first time. I just, for some reason, couldn't figure it out. I couldn't put it together. Even though they give Wheatley a bit of dialogue about, oh, there's a big laser, and you see it, I just didn't put it together. And this time, I knew exactly what I was doing, and it works so beautifully, and it's so simple. But this is another time, this is probably the biggest time where I sat and listened to Wheatley before I solved the puzzle, because he has a lot of dialogue here about his hacking skills, and it's clear how incompetent he is. After the neurotoxin has reached dangerous, unlethal levels... <laughs> <laughs> Why are they stockpiling neurotoxin in this place? 
We can ride the tube to Gladys. And Gladys <laughs> has created a door for us. This is Gladys Emergency Shutdown and Cake Dispensary. <laughs> which, of course, is a lie. Yeah. And we replace Gladys's core with Wheatley. And that whole scene is funny. Gladys saying, don't do it. And obviously, Wheatley isn't the best person to put in charge. We would already know that, but we have to for the game's sake. Mm. They have this scenario where it's Gladys versus Wheatley, and so they've reached a stalemate. So there's a stalemate button that we need to get to. We get there, and we replace them. Wheatley, already from the very, very beginning, you can see he starts to go mad with power. He's about to let us go, and then he brings us back. Yeah. He turns Gladys into a potato. Yeah. And we're also told by Gladys that Wheatley was essentially an intelligence dampener. He was designed to constantly have bad ideas to slow her down because the scientists were scared about how fast she was progressing. It's almost like Wheatley was Rick's Morty. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, that whole that whole transformation was brilliant. I loved I loved uh, I loved that for the first time as well. Like, you're thinking, oh, Wheatley's my friend. He's helping me escape, and then the, the transformation of him when he gets into that power kind of situation. That part where he just absorbs the power, I guess, and just gets consumed by all the knowledge. I think that's flowing into him, and he's in control of the entire station. And yeah, he's an absolute idiot. <laughs> This leads to chapter six, titled The Fall, where we have a very long fall, and Gladys and I get to catch up a bit, and <laughs> she demonstrates her ability to still have a slow clap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before this, though, like the transition for this, the Aperture logo changes, and we see it's clearly an older logo, and they'll do this twice in the game. We get there, there's a bit of a cutscene, where Bird takes off with Potato Gladys, so we don't even have her, we don't know where she is, and we have to move on. And... This section is just really worn out. Everything in this section just looks worn out. Rusted, we're walking through huge puddles of water, shooting portals through wire gates to get around. Yeah, to get to like the, the other side of things. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, very, it's really open and yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's cool. I like this part. There's lots of do not enter signs and keep out signs, which of course gives us the information that this is the right way. This is where we're supposed to be going. What I don't understand though is where these are the, these, these are the things that bug me about games. Mm -hmm. Where are the fires coming from? Like, well, who's stoking these fires? Like, how who's keeping them burning? And for me, that equals story. Like, because it means, oh, it means someone's been down here. But I don't think that's the case. You know, it's like these fires should be out. They're they're fifty years old. It depends on what the fire is or what it looks like. I think sometimes with Portal 2, I attributed it to something along the lines of a gas leak or something that since. As you said, they seem to have unlimited resources that somehow this is just continually going, but the maintenance to stop it and fix it hasn't. Yeah, fair enough. But that, I mean, that could be me filling in the gaps. Me also just kind of oblivious to that detail, whereas you're very focused on it. Yeah, so we get through the do not enter signs. And yes. th this is the part that blew my mind for the nth time in the game and that is we're introduced to cave yes so we get through a giant hatch door and then we hear jk simmons yeah what a perfect choice <laughs> <laughs> i mean i thought steve merchant as wheatley was brilliant but when you hear jk simmons come in doing what he did so beautifully with the j jonah jameson character 
in the Spider-Man movies. Just wow. Yeah. Welcome to the world. This is so beautiful. And he starts off welcoming, you know, Olympic gold medalists, astronauts, really top quality research subjects. And Caroline is there too, making comments occasionally. <laughs> and just brilliant lines of dialogue and also telling you what things were going on in Aperture in the background and in its history. So we had a Mantis injection project canceled. However, uh, you're in luck because you can pick up a rifle and take on some Mantis men. <laughs> <laughs> he has awards. There's an award cabinet oh, yeah. where he has awards for promoting potato research, selling shower curtains, and science. <laughs> and this is very indicative of who this character is. It tells us a lot about where he came from. And it just, again, builds this character in this world in such a beautiful way. That cabinet is pretty important as well for other, again, my stupid brain. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the picture, there's the, photo, the, the, the painting and then all the cabinet is in mint condition, well, as mint as it can be. One of them is. But the other one is completely ransacked and destroyed and looted. Mm -hmm. Why? That is bugging me, because I have no idea why. I also noticed that, and I want to know why. I want to know where they are, what was in What there. was in it, yeah. Yeah, me too. I wouldn't be surprised if it was some Carolyn stuff, but we may never know. There is this kind of part. I, I would say that one maybe downfall to this part and maybe the next section of the game as well. There are some areas where I really didn't know where to go the first time. It's great to explore. There's lots to see. It's part of this world. And going back through it now, wow, like I love it. But I do remember the first time a lot of these areas being really frustrated. Because they're so huge. Yeah. They're gigantic. And in a test, everything you need to know is kind of highlighted. Anything that's not white is important in some way. You can see the mechanics. In this, it's not quite as straightforward. It's a new game, essentially, is what it is. And that, I mean, at the same time as you're saying, it's, it's hard and maybe it's a not as good part of the game. I still think it's a good part because it's basically reinventing its own game and everything that it's taught you in the past, now it's like you, you do feel, you feel isolated and you do feel like, oh, but before there was a little mark on the floor where I should put a portal or add an idea. Like everything was white and, and lit up. Like I, I know where I can place my portals. Here, you're on your own, son. And it's like, deal with it. I really, I really liked the, the darkness to this part of the stage. I think I you know the moment you're talking about where you have to fall through the momentum puzzle to leap through the aperture sign to get to the door. But there's also a wire fence perpendicular to that that I thought, and there's a white portal opposite that where you could try. I was trying to catapult myself over that fence for about an hour thinking this is impossible and it is impossible, <laughs> but I still tried it. But yeah, the answer is pretty much right in front of your face and there's a giant circle for you to leap through. Mm -hmm. This part of the game is where we're also introduced to our first gel, the repulsion gel, which is the blue bouncy gel. And this is also the part where Cave mentions that we're getting the real stuff. We're not yeah, in the yeah. control group, unlike that poor sucker who broke all the bones in his leg. <laughs> but what I like is we're now getting a new mechanic and again, we need to be shown how it's done. So we're given a pit of it to jump in to immediately see what it does, as well as little signs on the wall to give you indications of what it does. 
And basically we need to jump to get to a button and then we need to jump on it to get to a higher button showing us that the momentum we have into the jump affects how we bounce out of the jump. It's really, really great tutorial. It's simple. You do it quickly and then you move on to something more complicated with it leading to where we have to bounce along walls so that we know that we can bounce sideways. I don't think we do a whole lot more of that in the single campaign, but we definitely do that in the co-op mode. And I, I love how we both don't like having control taken away from us in a game, but I love how you don't have to... Con you you jump into that wall and then you can let go and you'll just bounce the yes, entire way Yes, because across. otherwise that would be a It'd hassle. be so frustrating, yeah, to aim it each time, yeah. We're also shown that water can wash off the gel very easily, if only... <laughs> it must be some sort of magic water. Special, special yeah. water, yeah. Later in the game, the same chapter, story-wise, we see that Aperture has fallen on harder times. They're now offering 60 bucks for testing. And he's basically referencing... Cave's basically referencing the fact that many of the people they have are homeless. <laughs> Yeah. And constantly telling them how lucky they are to be getting the $60 that they are. I love the poster of the 60, like $60 you can buy a speedboat. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he also has a bit of angst towards Black Mesa, because apparently they were making money off of Aperture Ideas, and Aperture wasn't making the money. Well, I think the portal gun itself is... I don't know which way around it goes. I haven't read or anything about it, but have you played Half-Life 2? Hmm. Well, the gravity gun is very, very similar to this this gun in uh, the portal gun. In, in Portal 1, when you picked up a cube or something, you were picking up with your hands, but if you can see yourself in a portal... You're actually using the gun to lift things around, so it's it's exactly the gravity gun from Half Life Two. Okay. But no, I like what you again what you're saying about. I love how each chamber is labeled with the year, and so you actually are. It's almost like because you're so deep in the ground, it's like you're moving through the fossil record. It's beautiful, brilliant. One thing that I did find a bit frustrating. This is the one labeled control room. I remember the first time I had a lot of trouble because I didn't know where I was supposed to go. I don't remember this level. You do, because this is where you actually pick Gladys up again. But I didn't oh, know where right. Gladys was. You have to explore and you have to keep portaling and using momentum to get to this control room. To get into the office. But I remember the first time this really, really frustrated me. This was another area where I had no idea where I was supposed to go. I kept trying to get on an elevator that didn't go anywhere. I was confused. However, this time I knew right where I was going... So it felt natural, and I was totally fine with it. We scare a bird away. Gladys says that we should really help her because Wheatley's an idiot, and he's going to destroy the whole place. And she's right. <laughs> we don't have a choice at this point. We're basically told to take her. If we don't take her, an icon pops up, an information icon that says, pick up Gladys. Yeah, and you're locked into that room as well. You can't escape that room. I love that. It's like, hey, you're good at murder. Can you kill this bird? <laughs> <laughs> And she is now stabbed onto our portal gun. She is now with us. Yeah. Which leads to chapter seven, titled The Reunion. In this, Gladys starts to respond to Cave exactly as Caroline does. And this kind of confuses her because she doesn't realize who she is. This is great story. And it's also great, as I said before, they find reasons why characters stop talking. And it makes sense that she would want to stop and think about this. So when we need to do a test, she's kind of dealing with her emotions. She's not there to walk us through the answer, yeah. yeah. Or or she gets, she's only a potato, she's got like 1.2 yeah. volts or something, so she needs to shut down. Yeah, whenever she gets too emotional. Yeah. 
Uh, this is where we are introduced to the orange speed gel. Yep. Where, uh, and in the first one, there's a, a runway ramp, and we have to build the runway of orange gel in order to jump across. Orange gel, which surprisingly also makes good music. Doesn't it, though? Isn't that great? I like that, though. I like the the tunnel has a different music. When you hear that music, again, it's kind of a cue, you did it right. Yeah. <laughs> By this point in the game, I've actually wrote, I, I wrote down something and said... I'm surprised at how long this is because I think even on X amount of playthroughs, I've kind of, I'm not playing it every week, but once a year, maybe something like that. And man, this game is long, but in a great way, you know? I think it's just longer than you remember. Yeah. It's always a bit longer than you remember because you remember certain things, but you don't remember everything. Yeah. But I mean, as far as value and time-wise and nothing gets stale you know it's like everything is like i said when you get into cave johnson's kind of part it's an entirely new game you've got gels you've got new mechanics you're relearning the game so in the beginning of portal 2 you start off with two portals pretty much and you're thrown behind the curtain now with cave johnson it's another game and then even after once you get the potato back again it's almost a new game when you get back to wheatley it's another game it's everything changes so many times it keeps it keeps it fresh every time it's great in this section then we're taught how to use the orange gel and blue gel in combination so you run up to a jump Mm -hmm. we are shown a section where basically pipes break and there's a white gel coming out like we've turned on all the pumps so we know that there's a third one now and the white gel comes out we don't even really have to think about it it's very intuitive well anything that's flat and white i can portal to and so there we go this is the part of the game where you mentioned that employee testing was now mandatory they had to do this to keep their job and this is also where he says they bought a lot of moon rocks because they're a great portal conductor. So we have an idea of what it's made of, but this becomes very important, obviously, for the end of the game. Uh, but also, <laughs> we find out that he's dying because of it. They have cancer, and he's going to try and use the portal technology to see if it can remove tumors, yeah. <laughs> essentially. Because yeah. that, that, that's kind of interesting, is that did he basically go insane trying to save himself? Is that is that what pushed the whole place to the edge? Like, Is that why he... Did he ruin Aperture by... I mean, he didn't, well, obviously he didn't ruin it because it's still continuing because GLaDOS obviously took over GLaDOS. Caroline obviously took over after his death. But I'm, I'm not sure how good Aperture really was yeah. throughout. I think that's part of the reason why they hit the dire straits of having to get homeless people in for 60 bucks a time. Yeah. But that does lead to a room where there's white gel and nothing else, which basically shows you how to paint using the white gel with the portals. And it's after that, story-wise that connects to what you were just saying where cave is talking about the adage of when life gives you lemons make lemonade and he starts railing against it and saying no you complain about it you fight about it and gladys is cheering on right with carolyn but he also says that should he die he also says that should he die they should put carolyn in charge it's recorded it's there And so I'm not sure if it's Cave that's had that happen or if it was Carolyn as Gladys that has made everything become the way it really was. Because he essentially says that they're working on putting a mind onto a disc, the brain mapping. Yeah, because that's what he wants for himself, isn't it? He Mm -hmm. wants to live forever kind of thing. And saying we really should have been doing that from the beginning. But if not, then Carolyn should be in charge. So I think that Cave died. Yep. And then it's... 
Caroline stroke Gladys. Like, she tried to continue with his crazy ideas, and then she had forever to keep going with these ideas in robot form. Yeah, I mean, I guess she, she probably discovered how to download your consciousness into a robot, I guess, and then she can continue forever. But that doesn't explain... Oh, that does. I mean... In a sense, maybe she gave herself up for science, and that's why there's all like the failsafes against GLaDOS. And but somehow she worked around. She got the hold of the neurotoxin and like gassed everybody and got complete control herself. I guess. Oh, yeah. my, my my next note is just something I noticed on the the walls. You know, like the the elevator walls where they show the pictures of like the turrets and stuff yeah. or whatever. There's a funny one where it's like press any key to vent radiological emissions, which means Wheatley can't even press any key because <laughs> he's a total idiot it's like, I thought that was brilliant because it's like press any key to vent uh, emissions and then at the bottom it's just like press any key to continue as if they're two different instructions but they essentially do the same thing but yeah that's my next note and that's me done actually so chapter 8 is the itch Wheatley is in charge he realizes that if he tests, he gets rid of this itch that bugs him, and it also feels really good. But as time progresses, the good feeling goes away, and he needs more and more of it. He's craving more and more of it, which Gladys says she found a way to work around because she kind of persevered. But he's so weak-minded, he won't be able to. He tries to be super lazy, having us do the same test twice which doesn't work. He tries to have us do a test and he says he's going to record it and then watch it and that does nothing. He <laughs> starts to bring in tests that he says are his, but Gladys clearly admits that they are hers. Yeah. He says, however, it has test written on it and therefore it's totally new. <laughs> I, I don't know if they're trying to make a um, comment on intellectual property, but... <laughs> But it, it's just great. It's just great. Yeah. But this is where we start to have the tunnels. So the blue tunnels that push things away and the orange tunnels that bring them back. These are some of the most confusing puzzles of the game. For me, this time around, not, right? Because I've done it so many times. But that first time, I remember being in awe of how this mechanic worked and confused as to how to make it do what I wanted it to do a lot of times. Many times I was just going in tunnels everywhere just to see where I could go to get a better look around the room or just because I had no idea. So I would keep trying things until I got it to work a lot of times. We are in tests where they have like a bottomless pit now. We get to a point where Wheatley's just throwing rooms together in a way that is just insane, but beautiful to watch. To see these rooms being smashed together, and yet the test works. Everything is ramped up here. The challenge, the danger, considering you're constantly being hurtled over bottomless pits, and just Wheatley clearly is, is ramping up the story as to how he's going a bit crazy. There are a couple of funny bits here with Gladys, where Gladys insults him, calling him a moron, Wheatley gets really upset, and in the next test, he's playing classical music at the beginning to prove that he's intelligent and saying how he read Machiavelli, and it wasn't so hard, and he'd read every book. That was the last book that ever existed. Did you hear that noise? That's the sound of pages being turned. <laughs> There's one test where, as we're seeing shaking and we're hearing rumblings, we know bad things are happening, other things are telling us that this place is really falling apart at an accelerated rate. One time we get off the elevator and it has essentially what is the Windows blue screen of death. Yeah. Where it is talking about the molten core warning and giving commands how to fix it, which seems like that should be a simple thing. 
But as you said, Wheatley can't even do that. We're told that there's only two more chambers until our surprise, which Wheatley is not subtle, so we know it's leading to death. But surprise is happening now, which even Gladys admits was kind of good. Yeah. <laughs> because he's talking about finding the two robots, which are actually the co-op robots that Gladys had created, so he doesn't need us anymore. Right? Uh, this leads to chapter nine, one of our favorite parts, the <laughs> titled The Part Where He Kills You. Yeah. <laughs> Where we start off surrounded by metal walls with spikes, and we can portal out just in time, and then we're dropped into what is labeled Test 75 of 19, Yeah, <laughs> where there's a whole bunch of turrets. One is still in the box, Yeah, <laughs> and, and Wheatley is saying, oh, why aren't you dead? I don't hear bullets firing. And he goes, oh, yeah, those are the crap turrets that yeah. we made before. <laughs> So we're back. There's kind of a tube that has bombs inside, which is a new thing for us. Mm -hmm. But this is much like the rocket launcher from the first one. It's a similar mechanic, and it's similarly introduced to us here so that we can use it in the final fight and use it in a couple different ways before we get there. This is also where we have to get on a conveyor tube, and we have to create a speed run up the conveyor tube to get out, which I thought was just brilliant. I love the way that that works. Uh, we come across a cage of corrupted cores. The Gladys says, oh, this is how we can use it, because her earlier idea to give Wheatley a paradox didn't work because he's too stupid to understand the paradox. And this leads up to our final battle. And he said he'd watched the fight with Gladys, and so he'd learned from it, and so they're four tactics that he says. There's going to be neurotoxin right from the start. He has bomb shields. There's no way we're going to be able to portal. And he has bombs. But of course, the bombs help us to break the tube. We can paint. We can use portals. And this is essentially how we get rid of Wheatley. Yeah. We hit him with a bomb, much like we did rockets with Gladys in the first one. And then we get a corrupted core. Uh, the corrupted cores are one obsessed with space. Mm -hmm. To, it says his name is Rick, and he's kind of this adventurer. And like, yeah. I'm going to help you, little lady. And like, all right, well, you're just going to be attached to this guy. That's all you're going to do. Yeah. And the third one is kind of obsessed with history and science history, but gets most of it wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but this leads to the stalemate button, which is booby-trapped quite cleverly. But then we can use the moon to portal to. We know this because... It was mentioned in Cave's dialogue earlier, moon rocks make a great conductor. Yeah. And the idea that you can shoot a portal all the way to the moon and it works expands the idea of what you could actually do with this technology. And I think that that's beautiful. Yeah. But that leads to us getting Wheatley into space, Gladys saving us, and saying she learned a lot from this. She learned a lot from having Carolyn inside of her, and then she deletes her immediately, which is just brilliant. I love that as well. I, like, I learned a lot from Caroline deleted. What I think is great here is we get some amazing resolution here. So Gladys is still in charge. She has robots to do the testing. She's happy. Wheatley is out of the picture. We don't have to worry about him. So what happens to us as the main character? And Gladys says, quite frankly, she's tried to kill us. That's led to her dying and being turned into a potato. It's really just easier to let us go. And that is such a brilliant resolution. It leads to us being allowed to go out into the world after getting this song kind of sung to us by the turrets. And there's a 
massive <laughs> giant mega turret <laughs> in the back. And that's that's a beautiful way to end it. And it just feels amazing. Then we get outside. It's a beautiful blue sky, green fields. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's oh, it's corn, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's like a it's like a yellow hayfield, I think. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just, just beautiful imagery. And then right after we turn around and we see a singed companion cube get popped out. Yeah. Which kind of led to believe is maybe our actual one from the first. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that could have made that a little bit better is if a cake popped out too. But <laughs> <laughs> maybe that would have been too far. I thought just what a beautiful ending. And then we get another Jonathan Colton song, which, you know, I want you gone and just perfectly embodies Gladys and this game and the the feel for it. And what a, what a great way to end. And then we even get that little bit where Wheatley says, oh, I kind of made a mistake. I shouldn't have done it while the space core is going around and so happy. He's just so happy. Yeah. It's just a beautiful way to end the game. And a game that, like I said, I've played multiple times. I'm probably going to play it again. As soon as I finished, I had the itch to want to play again. See? You got the itch, too, mm. to test. There's something about this game that just makes everything work in a way that makes me happy. And like I said, it felt like going home again. I love this game. It's not anxiety-inducing. It's got complicated puzzles, but it's not overly complicated. It just does everything in a way that, for me, exemplifies what I want in a game. With the story, with the look, with the mechanics that work with a simplicity of mechanics, but complexity of what you can do with them. It's linear, but at times I feel like I'm exploring. Oh, it's completely linear, but it gives you the, the illusion that you're that you're exploring. Yeah. yeah. In a way that Portal did, but Portal 2, again, did better. I love this game. So you said you wanted to maybe talk about issues you had with the game? Yeah, I mean... What, what do you have? Because my only issue would be that at times it was a bit confusing as to what to do or where I was actually supposed to go, but... After the first time, that goes away. Yeah, I mean, even 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 if if that's the case, it's like, it's a puzzle game, so it's supposed to make you scratch your head. But no, I mean, that was a, it was a, it was a challenge that I just thought about as we were recording this. Like, mm-hmm. think of something that's actually objectively bad about this game, and it's I, impossible. I think this game is pretty much flawless. I would say. I think the one thing that I would say, and it's not a slight on the game at all, but I don't think that this game is for everyone. I've tried to introduce this game to friends before. I think that pretty much anybody who plays video games can do this, can get into this. But people who don't really struggle a bit with this. Mm. I've had them ask, who do I shoot? Like, when somebody has a specific mentality of what is a video game and what they can do with it, this game expands upon that so much. It's the type of game I want everyone to see. I feel like casual gamers could definitely get into this. I feel like people who don't even play games could get into this. But the problem comes in the fact that right away from the very beginning of this game, it is expanding upon what a video game can be. And so if people aren't as familiar with video games, they may not be ready for this one. And I think maybe I was pushing them to play this one because I loved it and because it was kind of a pinnacle. I wanted them to see what games could be. But I think it's a rough one to introduce people to who aren't into video games in the beginning because it's a bit too much. It's a bit too abstract at first. And so my only recommendation would be if 
you're like, say, with a new boyfriend, a new girlfriend, and you're trying to show them video games and games they might like. And that you can play together. Do the co-op first, actually, because then you're working together and they can see how it's working. Or maybe start them out on something that isn't quite so mentally challenging the first time and then build them up to this one. Because, like I said, it seems a bit daunting for this to be the first video game you've played in years. And the co-op is quite hard. I mean, the co-op is definitely harder than the base game, I think. It is. But if you're working together... If you can, especially if you can play in the same room, then mm. that would be all right, I think. But that would be the only thing. But that's not a slate on the game. <laughs> that's not a slate on this game. I love this game. And like I said, this game exemplifies what games can be. I would not want to take that away. I'm just cautioning, really. Rather than say it's a problem, I'm more cautioning people. You want to show them this game. If you love this game like we love this game, you want everybody to know that this game exists and to see it. But this might be step three on where you should be introducing people to. Mm. Get them some shorter, faster, easier stuff and then build them up to this game is what I would suggest. Agreed. Yeah, it's... Like I said, I'm the same as you. I don't really replay games very often. But this is one that I've played a dozen times and yeah it's hard to beat it's really hard to beat it's a lot of games are good and i really like like we've talked about inside we've talked about limbo we've talked about a bunch of games uh talos principle but yeah portal 2 is our benchmark it's like yeah it's good but it's not portal 2 and that's what i think i don't i mean I want there to be a game that's better than Portal 2. It would be amazing then. You know, I, I want it to come along. I'm not I'm not going to be stuck in my ways like nothing will ever be as good as this game. But if it comes along, yeah. But for the moment, no, nothing, is, nothing can beat this game. Gaps filled and more gaps created. Uh-huh.